Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. All right, I want to welcome everyone here in the room, everybody watching online as well. We've got some pretty fascinating stuff to cover this morning, but a lot. So I'm going to dive right in. Uh, check out this picture here. This is a black and white, two-dimensional picture of the Oasis restaurant, unlike Travis in Austin, Texas. But as you look at that picture, it's actually a limited experience of the beauty of this place. I mean, it's so much cooler in color and in three dimensions. When you see it live, when you're standing there, it's gorgeous. Some of you have been out there. There are mansions and hills and trees and lakes surrounding you. But even that three-dimensional experience is kind of a limited experience compared to a fourth dimension that we live in, and that is time. You see, Wendy and I have had some great memories at different times at this restaurant. Over the year, we've invited family and friends to come out and enjoy the scenery, the ambiance that's there. I mean, you can have dinner there, enjoy music, dancing, laughter together. It's a cool experience there. So this flat, black and white, two-dimensional picture is actually just a representation of a much bigger fourth-dimensional experience of life. But I want you to imagine that of all of our experiences in four dimensions in this life, imagine if all the wonder, all the beauty, all the love, in comparison, is just like a flat, black and white, two-dimensional picture compared to maybe a fifth dimension of living or a sixth dimension or a seventh dimension in a life to come. You know, that's actually what the Bible has been teaching us all along. And I think when you understand that, it'll change the way that you live and love and serve today. And so we're in the midst of this series called Imagine Heaven, and we're looking at recent medical and scientific evidence as well as corresponding biblical evidence surrounding what are called near-death experiences or NDEs. And these are people who have clinically died, meaning no brain activity, no brain waves, heartbeat has stopped, some for 30 minutes, some for 90 minutes or more, but then they're being resuscitated by the medical technology that we have today. And they're coming back and talking about their experience, that they were alive in another realm and that they saw and heard things remarkably identical to what's recorded in this book right here. And so if you're a Christian, I believe that this study is gonna help you. It's gonna help you to bring heaven down to earth. You're gonna see passages of scripture about heaven, about God, about the future in a different light. And hopefully it'll give you some extra motivation for your daily life. Because I actually think that God is giving us these testimonies today as a gift to give people hope at a time when we need hope more than ever before. And I would just encourage you, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, maybe you're a believer, maybe you're, you're not a believer, just keep an open mind. Okay, keep an open mind about this. And I would also encourage a healthy amount of skepticism, especially when we're talking about the individual stories that people share, because it's one person's experience and it's their interpretation of that experience. And we say it all the time around here, we are imperfect people. But we do life with a perfect God who has written a perfect word. So the one infallible source we have, we're going to keep going back to, is the Bible. All right, so for this series, I'm leaning on the research of John Burke. Okay? He's the author of New York Times bestseller, Imagine Heaven. 
And John, I, I know him personally, he's actually studied this topic for 35 plus years. John has interacted with the world's leading authorities in the area of near-death experiences. And John has actually interviewed many doctors, professors, bank presidents, I mean, credible people who have nothing to gain by telling some fanciful tale. And yet when these people clinically died and then were resuscitated, I want you to listen to what they have to say about the life to come. Check this out. Things were more beautiful than I could ever imagine. It was past anything that I would believe that it would be like. The colors were so alive that the most beautiful day on earth is just a reflection of those colors. The greens were greener, the yellows, the golds, the blues, everything reminded me that earth is a reflection of heaven, but heaven is perfection. So one of the commonalities of near-death experiences is they experience beauty in new dimensions of time and space. Flowers, trees, mountains, forests, in colors more vibrant than we can imagine. And they are not limited in their experience of beauty like we are here. About 52% of people having a near-death experience describe beauty in this heavenly realm that is beyond anything on earth, things that are absolutely spectacular. It seemed like everything there was glad I was there. The trees were glad I was there. The flowers were glad I was there. The water was glad I was there. Everything was alive. There was nothing dead, and everything was intelligent. Everything was far more intense. The colors, the aromas, the flowers were such that I felt that I could not only see them, but I understood them. Gorgeous, beautiful, all of the adjectives, but it's beyond words. Now, John, he studied over a thousand of these reported cases of near-death experiences, and he compared what these people had to say with the various world religions and what they anticipate about the life to come. It's a fascinating study. And he found that there were 40 common descriptions that people made who had had these near-death experiences. And so he took those 40 common descriptions and compared them, for instance, to the Buddhist Tibetan Book of the Dead and the Islamic scriptures, the Quran. And with each of those, he found about six to eight commonalities there. And then he looked at other Hindu Vedas, Zoroastrian Avesta, all these other religious writings. And with each of those, he found a few indirect correlations. But he also said that with the other world religions, there were just as many, if not more, discrepancies, like things that they anticipated that were the opposite of what these people who had near-death experiences actually experienced. However, when John took a look at, at the Jewish scriptures and the Christian scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible, and especially what the Bible has to say about God, about heaven, about Jesus. John found a full 38 of the 40 common descriptions already spelled out in this book right here. And so that's what we're gonna dive into. That's what we're gonna study over the course of this series. Because I don't think that God has just started to reveal himself today with modern medicine, bringing people back from the dead. No, he's been telling us this stuff all along. And the Bible actually gives us context to interpret these near-death experiences and understand what they mean for us. So for instance, talking about beauty, John, one of Jesus' disciples, he has a vision of heaven. And he writes about the beauty of heaven in the book of Revelation. And it's beauty not unlike earth. And I want you to check out what he has to say. And listen very, very carefully to this because you're gonna, throughout this study, you're gonna hear some things maybe a little bit differently in the scriptures. 
John says, after this I looked, and people from every nation, tribe, people, and language were wearing robes and were holding palm trees in their hands. Okay, there's an implication there. There are palm branches, rather. They were holding the palm branches, and so the implication is there are palm trees in heaven. It says he will lead them to springs of life-giving water. There are springs. We're going to later learn there are rivers. He took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. It's shown with the glory of God. So there are high mountains, there are cities. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. Implication, there are streets in heaven. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit. There are trees, there's fruit, it's life. But as Jesus said, it's abundant life and it's life experienced in dimensions far beyond anything we've ever experienced before. Now I got to thinking about this. I remember when I was first a believer and I started reading about some of these descriptions of heaven. I've got to confess, some of it sounded a little bit cheesy, a little bit gaudy to me, like streets of gold and pearly gates. In my mind, I kind of pictured a bad 1980s televangelist TV set. It was like, oh yeah, okay, what? But the more I studied this, the more I realized, no, wait a minute, this is otherworldly building material. I mean, gold that's transparent, like you can see that, how cool would that be? And blocks of stone that walls are actually made out of, but the stone itself is made of light and love, which makes no sense to us living here on earth, right? Light and love, how do you make a stone out of light and love? Or, or this pearlescent material that is alive and, and moving. And again, I gotta submit to you, it's like us trying to describe our fourth dimensional living of life and time in terms of flat, black, two dimension pictures, right? It's just impossible to do that. And I know that some people will still struggle with this, hearing doctors and nurses and professors talking about this imaginary place called heaven. I get it, I totally get that. But ironically, the idea of heaven is often rebuffed in the name of science. And yet, if you look at what science is actually teaching us today, the parallels are remarkable. And so John Burke, he writes this in his book. He says, the Kaluza-Klein theory, a unified field theory, postulates that there must be a fifth dimension for science to work as we understand it now. There's gotta be another dimension out there. Brian Greene, in his book, The Elegant Universe, talks about how quantum mechanics works perfectly and general relativity works perfectly, but they won't, won't work together unless there are six or seven hidden dimensions in space. So John says, if science is telling us that there are probably hidden dimensions, why is it so hard to think about heaven, a place beyond our dimensional understanding? Now, you may be asking, okay, where's the proof though? Well, interestingly, these people who have clinically died they say they leave their bodies, but they still have a body, a spiritual body, and it's a real body. And often they say they travel to this place of great beauty, but, but many times for a lot of them, before they do so, they say that they are present right there in the room, usually up above watching the resuscitation, and they make observations that can later be verified. And so listen to what John Burke says. He says, over 900 scholarly articles by once skeptical doctors or professors have been written on these experiences. 
They've been published in journals like Psychiatry or The Lancet, Europe's most prestigious medical journal. Dr. Jeff Long tells the story of a woman who died giving birth and she claims she left her body and was up on the top of the ceiling watching the resuscitation. Well, she noticed a red sticker on the top side of the ceiling fan, the ceiling side. And then she traveled to this place of great beauty where God told her, your son is going to live. Okay, she didn't even know at the time that, that it was a boy. But God said, you must go back and take care of him. And when she came back after being resuscitated, she tried to tell the doctors and nurses of this incredible place she went that was more real than anything she ever experienced, but they didn't believe her. They said, oh, it's just the drugs. Like it was just an hallucination. But she finally convinced the nurse to get an orderly to find a ladder. And the nurse said, go up and look on the top side of the fan and see if there's a red sticker up there. And sure enough, there was. And people, many, many, many observations like this have been made. And I get it, you may still be saying, well, okay, what if that's just an urban myth? Like where, where's some more proof for this? Well, a doctor, Dr. Michael Sabum, he was a cardiologist. He was extremely skeptical of all this. And so he set out to prove that all these near-death experiences are just myths. He did five years of research. And at the end, he changed his mind and he wrote this article that appeared in the journal, the American Medical Association. And it kind of launched a whole bunch of research into this subject. Because after that, a lady, Dr. Janice Holden, university professor, she read that article and decided to do her own study of 93 people who were pronounced clinically dead, but said they were still in the room up above watching what was happening. They made observations. And as she interviewed all these people, she said 93% of their observations were totally accurate. 6% had slight discrepancies and only one of the 93 individuals was off. Well, another guy, Dr. Jeff Long, radiation oncologist. He was skeptical when he read Dr. Michael Sabum's article. And so he decides, I'm gonna set out and do my own research on all this. Well, now he's actually been the one who's conducted the largest scientific study on NDEs of anybody in the world. It's been published in 31 different languages across the globe. And I want you to check out what he has to say to skeptics. Listen to him. Some skeptics think it's impossible to study something that isn't a physical phenomenon that you can visibly see and measure. However, I can assure people with those concerns that science broadly embraces subjective phenomena. That's the entire field, for example, of psychiatry, uh, et cetera, subjective, uh, qualitative, if you will, research. So it's very well established scientifically, very well validated, and very well accepted. A basic scientific principle is that what is real is consistently observed. And the overwhelming consistently see if what's observed in near-death experiences strongly bespeaks their reality. The way I study near-death experiences, again, with the best scientific methodology that, that seems to be published, is through a very, very detailed survey. There's over 100 questions that I ask. So in my over 4,000 near-death experiences I've studied, I'm not only getting a large number of near-death experiences, but we can look at them in a depth that was never possible before. Some people have wondered if near-death experiences are due to drugs or anesthetic agents. And having studied over 4,000 near-death experiences, the great majority of these people that had them were not taking any psychotropic, that is, 
brain-acting medication at the time of the experience. So there's no chance that drugs could account for what's observed in near-death experiences. Some skeptics have proposed that near-death experiences are due to hypoxia, which is low blood oxygen levels. Well, that's a reasonable hypothesis because after all, at the time of a life-threatening event, typically you are gonna have reduced oxygen levels in the blood as a result of the trauma or injury that led to that close brush with death. In any other altered type of human consciousness, dreams, hallucinations, uh, psychotic events, you typically have confused sensorium. Experiences may skip around in dreams that are very common. You really have that hypo or decreased lucidity, and that's completely different in near-death experiences, which are hyper or increased lucid, tends to be very logically and ordered. I can't find a single skeptical explanation of near-death experience that any reasonable, well-informed person would accept as explaining near-death experience. One of the strongest lines of evidence for the reality of near-death experience is they shouldn't happen at all. At the time of a cardiac arrest, when your heart stops, well, of course, immediately, blood stops flowing to the brain. 10 to 20 seconds after that event, the EEG electroencephalogram, which is a measure of brain electrical activity, goes absolutely flat. It should be impossible to have a lucid organized experience at that time, and yet by the hundreds, People have reported near-death experiences immediately following a cardiac arrest, and that is medically inexplicable. It seems that, that science is kind of validating what this book, the Bible, has been saying all along. That there is this place to come, a place of great beauty, where people have some new body, a spiritual body with new abilities. But I'm gonna back up and I'm gonna submit to you this morning that the Apostle Paul in the New Testament describes a near-death experience. Let me give you a little background on him. Paul was originally a Pharisee and the Pharisees were a group of religious leaders who ultimately had Jesus crucified. So Paul was definitely not a believer in Jesus Christ. But one day Paul has this experience with this brilliant blinding God of light that he later discovers that that God of light is Jesus. And so Paul gets converted and he becomes a force for Christianity in the first century. But then later on in his life, Paul has this near-death experience. It's actually recorded for us in Acts chapter 14. Paul is in the town of Lystra, a Greek city, okay? And he's there, a mob turns on him, stones him to death, and it says this. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead, but as the believers gathered around him, he got back up and went back into the town, which I think is just crazy, okay? I mean, picture Paul here. Like he gets up and what is the very first thing he does? He runs right back into the town he came from. And I wonder like, what did he say? Like I double dog dare you, come on, put, stone me to death again. Oh, bring it. You know about freaking people out, I'm back. Wow. But I believe that's when Paul has this near-death experience that he writes about later on in 2 Corinthians 12. He says this, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. He says, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know, only God knows, because he still had a body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. Okay, a few very fascinating correlations here. First, Paul knew he was himself. Like he had a body, but he didn't know if he was in his body or outside of his body, which is exactly 
what Andy Ears described. And he says he, he saw things that words can't express. They go beyond our dimensional reality. And, and he heard things that he said, no one is allowed to tell. Now that's fascinating because people who have had these near-death experiences say that on the other side, they were given knowledge. Like all their questions were answered. And they say, well, it's like I fully understood it there, right? But, but then when I came back, it's like I, I knew I knew it there, but it was like I wasn't allowed to tell it here. Fascinating. Now, in relation to this different kind of body, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. Some versions say raised in power. It's the Greek word dunamis. We get our word dynamite from that particular term. Okay, your new body will be dynamite, people. Okay, yeah. Yeah, amen to that. No longer disabilities, like no more aches, no more pains. But, but beyond that, new powers, like new abilities that enable us to go and explore and experience all the wonders of God's beauty, all the wonders of God's creation. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. Paul tells us exactly what NDEers are saying across the globe. It's a different kind of body. We can understand and recognize each other. We can hug and kiss, but we're not limited in our abilities. Not just five senses, more like 50 senses. And in fact, here we go again, you see examples of this in the Bible. For instance, in the book of Revelation, John says this, an angel took me in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, let me ask you a question here. How could Paul be up on a great high mountain and yet read the names on the foundation stones, probably miles and miles and miles away? Like he couldn't unless, as Paul says, our new bodies are raised with new powers of sight and smell and sound. Now, I want you to listen to how Andy Ears talk about this. I was in this experience for what felt to me like many, many, many hours. But in fact, the entire thing was probably 30 minutes. My eyes were obviously completely enhanced, completely strengthened. It seemed like all my senses took on the other attributes of the senses. So even though I could hear it, it seemed like I could also see it with my hearing. People talk about how their experience on the other side is more lucid, more aware, more conscious, not just five senses. Some describe it as having 50 senses. It's fully alive like we've never imagined. It's as though somebody put a film over what we see here, and then a film was removed, and all of a sudden the brilliance is exposed. In my survey, 74.4% reported heightened senses. They were actually able to see much more clearly than in earthly life. Even people with severely impaired vision or blindness were able to see with perfect vision in their near-death experience. You could see something infinitely far away as if it was right in front of me. I could see the trees and the flowers, and I could see every detail. I could see every individual blade of grass. In heaven, we can hear it all, take in it all, just like we can all the sights of heaven, the aromas of heaven, which are sweet and overwhelming. It's a buffet for the senses. It's a sensory explosion. Imagine the fun, okay, 
of exploring all of God's creation, all of God's beauty, but having all these new senses to do that. And imagine having all the time in the world to do it. You know, Dr. Mary Neal said it sounded, it felt like hours and hours and hours and hours. She was clinically dead for 30 minutes. And that, interestingly enough, is what the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 8. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. And NDE or say things like time worked differently there. Some said, well, well, there was no time. And, and others said, well, there was time, but it wasn't the same because you're never in a hurry. You're never in a rush. Another bizarre thing has to do with distance. You know, people said the distance works differently there because you could just think and instantaneously be somewhere. I mean, how crazy would that be? Just to be able to have a thought and boom, you're there. What then is distance? But they said that you, you do move, you can travel, you can float along or, or you can fly, which sounds totally incredible, but not if we're living in other dimensions. And when thousands and thousands of people are saying the exact same things, you gotta ask the question, where is the evidence pointing? You know, how do you explain it, especially when it's what the Bible has been saying all along? And let me back this last one up. After Jesus was crucified 2,000 years ago, 500 eyewitnesses said they saw Christ risen from the dead, that he appeared to them personally. And they said, Jesus had a body. Like we could touch him, we could hug him, he could eat fish with us, those kinds of things. But he could also appear instantaneously in a locked room, like a, behind doors, just boom, be there. He could come and go as he pleased. But they also reported that he could float or fly away out of their sight. In Acts 1.9, after Jesus appeared to people in one of his post-resurrection experiences, it says, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. So he floats up and away. Again, it sounds crazy, but it's what the Bible has told us all along. And endy ears are verifying this. And I believe that God has told us this because he wants us to have hope, hope for the life to come, hope that makes all of our FOMO, all of our fear of missing out in this world just fade away. Because I want you to think about this. If you're ever tempted in life, and a lot of people are, a lot of Christians are tempted this way to say, you know what, I'm gonna go away from God's ways because I'm afraid I'm gonna miss out on something really good, something really cool that this life has to offer. If you think that, if you think I'm gonna miss out if I follow God and God's ways, that's just a lie. It's a lie. Like there's nothing in this comparatively flat, black and white, two-dimensional world that's gonna compare to what you'll experience in heaven. For instance, it, let's say you enjoy nature. You know, the majestic beauty of the Rocky Mountains or the crystal clear beaches of the Caribbean, that, that's gonna pale in comparison to what we'll experience in heaven. You know, if you love to look into the mysteries of the universe, space is gonna be just one of the many playgrounds that when travel becomes instantaneous, we can explore for all eternity. And, and it sounds crazy until you listen to what these NDEers have to say. People like Heidi. Heidi, just so you know, she was raised in a Jewish atheist home. And she was taught absolutely that Jesus is a hoax. There is no God. But she said, even though that was the teaching that she got growing up, she always believed in God. She always prayed to him. She had a relationship with him. And one day at the age of 16, her horse fell on her. And in a moment, she discovers that Jesus and God are one. And I want you to listen to how he takes her by the hand and how they travel together. Check this out. He took my hand 
and we flew. It was like we had this wave of light under our feet it was pushing us forward and he was grinning from ear to ear. This incredible uh, airborne view, a descending, slowing down airborne view of the city of gold. And it's city, it's a city that's walled. O over the city were majestic mountains that were as gorgeous as any that could be ever seen. However, they did not look that different than Earth. I noticed snow, so think about that, snow. What does that mean? Atmosphere, temperature, snow, what's that all about? I noticed flying birds later. What does that mean? Uh, these are the kind of questions I ask. Yeah. Okay, if a bird is to fly, it can't be a vacuum. I'm floating is what I would call it. Uh, I could see the townships, as I called them, homes that people lived in, homes that were likely to be created for the people of heaven. Interestingly enough, they struck me by not so much the size as the architecture. I know nothing about architecture mm. at all. I still don't. But uh, I recognize that there was something divine about the architecture of the buildings. There were small, what we would call like uh, condos here. There were single family residences that we would call here. There were huge palaces, and I could see that, but... And this like, is all inside the wall? On the other around. side of the wall, I saw none of this. And how big is this city? I mean, can you tell? I could not tell, other than it was beyond the horizon both directions. There's countryside inside, so it's, a, it's gorgeous, beautiful, all of the adjectives times a thousand. So I believe God has given us these promises, not just in NDEs, but especially in this book right here. He's given us the promise of a life to come so that we won't fear missing out in this life. And so that we'll put our love and our following and our trust completely in God, that we'll love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because I believe that this world, this life, is really just a test preparing us for the real life that is to come. Now, as we wrap this up, one of the most compelling threads of evidence for me personally is what blind people have to say who've had these near-death experiences. And John Burke, he actually has three different cases in his book, Imagine Heaven. And I want you to listen to what these blind people have to say, not just in relationship to the beauty of heaven, but also the light of heaven. And I'm gonna start with an eight-year-old eight kid named Brad. He said this when he was interviewed later in his life. He said, I was walking up this immense field. It seemed I was so exhilarated, so unbelievably renewed. I wanted to stay forever. He said, the weather was absolutely perfect, which a blind person I think would especially notice first. There was tremendous light up there. It seemed to come from every direction. It was all around. It seemed like everything, even the grass I'd been stepping on, seemed to soak in that light. And then a gal named Vicki, another blind person, describes the light. She says, the light was something you could feel as well as see. And everybody there was made of light. Now that's super interesting to me because that's exactly what Jesus said. Check this out, check out this passage. He says, the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Now I don't know about you, but for years and years and years, I've been to seminary, I'd study that passage. I never thought about that literally, right? I thought about, well, oh son, you really shine on that test that you took over there. You know, I didn't think about, no, wait a minute. 
What the Bible is saying is the righteous will shine like the sun. There's the comparative. There will be this brilliance. And, and I started thinking about Moses in the presence of God and how he came down and he shone. The righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Vicki goes on to say, what the light conveyed was love. It was light and love together. It was like love came out of the grass, love and light came out of the birds, love came from the trees. It was incredible, really beautiful. Now think about this. How do these blind people come to describe the light of heaven as just shining out of everything with love when they would have been told that here on earth light shines on things? And yet it's exactly what John describes in the book of Revelation. John says this, the city has no need of sun or moon. Why? For the glory of God illuminates the city and the lamb, that's Jesus, is its light. The nations will walk in its light. How do these blind people and others across the globe come to describe this light of God in the same way? That this light of heaven is the glory of God and it lights up everything. You know, one of the things you probably heard over and over is about the many colors of heaven. Well, think about this. The colors of earth are really a breakdown of the light spectrum of the sun. But imagine the color spectrum, the spectrum of colors, if the light is the light of God, right? That's why these people can explain and, and share these things. Like, wow, it's colors like I've never, ever seen before beyond anything I could ever imagine. Okay, so we're past time right now, so I need to wrap this up. But just so you know, next week, we're gonna talk about how God is a God of love and a God of light. And near-death experience people, they report this over and over again without fail. And it's a really fascinating comparison you won't wanna miss next Sunday. But we're also gonna turn over another stone. It's a little more sobering. It's the fact that not all these experiences are positive. Because some of these people who have NDEs, they're not believers in Jesus, they are not right with God, okay? And more on that next Sunday. But let's pray. Lord, so much that we could talk about here, but I, I just wanna thank you for the, these amazing stories that we hear. But God, as, as remarkable, and we have to look at each of these individually and, and test those and, and use wisdom and discernment, as remarkable as these near-death experiences are, what blows my mind is that you've already told us, 38 out of the 40 descriptions these people come back with, you've already clearly articulated in your word. And yet, oftentimes we just gloss over them. We miss the true meaning of those things. And we need to take the time to focus on these because they're so encouraging, so fascinating, uh, so inspiring. And I pray that we would keep our focus on heaven. We would focus on the life to come because all the great saints in the Old and New Testament, they kept their focus on the better life and they sacrificed the pleasures of this world that they might enjoy the deeper pleasures you have. So God, as we continue to study this, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds that we would keep an open mind and, and also weigh everything against your word and just embrace the truths that you teach us. And so we love you and we just pray that this would change the way we live today, that we would no longer be consumed with the things of this world, but be consumed with your kingdom and your righteousness and seeking that above all. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
All right, if you're here this morning, maybe you have questions about, hey, how do I have a relationship with Jesus? Maybe you have a prayer need, prayer concern. We're gonna have individuals up front on either side here. They would love to pray with you. Otherwise, you guys have a great week. Enjoy July 4th weekend.